Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good afternoon. My name is Josh, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Fox Inc.'s first quarter fiscal 2020 financial results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, Please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. Thank you. Alice Lopato, Head of Investor Relations, you may begin. Good afternoon and welcome to Box's first quarter fiscal 2020 earnings conference call. On the call today, we have Aaron Levy, our CEO, and Dylan Smith, our CFO. Following our prepared remarks, we will take questions. Today's call is being webcast and will also be available for replay on our investor relations website at www.box.com forward slash investors. Our webcast will be audio only. However, supplemental slides are now available for download on our website. We'll also post the highlights of today's call on Twitter at the handle at BoxInc.IR. On this call, we will be making forward looking statements, including our Q2 and FY20 financial guidance. And our expectations regarding our financial performance for fiscal 2020 and future periods, timing of and market adoption of our products, our markets and market size, our operating leverage, our expectations regarding maintaining positive free cash flow, future profitability, and unrecognized revenue and remaining performance obligations, our planned investments and growth strategies, our ability to achieve our long term revenue and other operating model targets, and expected timing and benefits. From our new products and partnerships. These statements reflect our best judgment based on factors currently known to us, and actual events or results may differ materially. Please refer to the press release and the risk factors in documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our most recent annual report on Form 10K, for information on risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially. 
these forward-looking statements are being made as of today, June 3, 2019, and we disclaim any obligation to update or revise them should they change or cease to be up to date. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures. These non-GAAP financial measures should be considered in addition to, not as a substitute for, or in isolation from our GAAP results. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP results in our earnings press release and in the related PowerPoint presentation, which can be found on the Investor Relations page of our website. Unless otherwise indicated, all references to financial measures are on a non-GAAP basis. With that, let me hand it over to Aaron. Thanks, Alice, and thanks, everyone, for joining the call today. Before we talk about Q1 results, we want to take the time today to give you some additional insight into how our business has been evolving and how we are seeing our strategy play out in our results this year. Enterprises need a cloud content management platform that powers business process automation, secure collaboration across best-of-breed apps, and easy custom development for creating new digital experiences and replacing legacy enterprise content management systems. To address this demand, we've been evolving our product to extend our cloud content management capabilities. Simultaneously, we have been advancing our go-to-market strategy to focus more on customer-oriented solution selling. Together, these two initiatives are aimed at transitioning our customers to leveraging Box as a complete platform for secure content management workflow and collaboration. When our customers use the full suite of our cloud content management solutions, we see dramatically higher average contract value and better retention, leading to greater lifetime value for Box. The key indicator of our success in driving this transition is the adoption of our add-on products which is why we focus on the attach rates and the growth of products like Box Governance, Platform, and Relay, and in the future, Box Shield. We're seeing tremendous success from our add-on products, and in the past quarter, our add-on product revenue grew by 57% year over year. The demand for Box remains strong and continues to grow. While our larger, more complex deployments do tend to have longer deal cycles, we believe that our go-to-market initiatives in combination with our expanded product portfolio will enable us to improve sales productivity and meet the growing demand for cloud content management. Even as our strategy remains focused on driving long-term revenue growth, we will increasingly look to balance our growth with greater profitability. Now, turning to Q1, we delivered wins and expansion with major customers, including BT Group, Blackboard, Nintendo Europe, Remy Control Group, and Dignity Health. Revenue was $163 million, uh, up 16% year-over-year. Non-GAAP EPS improved to negative $0.03 versus negative $0.07 in the same quarter a year ago, and free cash flow was positive $13.4 million, an improvement of $6.2 million versus Q1 last year. In the quarter, we closed three deals worth more than $1 million versus one a year ago, six deals over $500,000 versus four a year ago, and 33 deals greater than $100,000 versus 35 a year ago. While we closed slightly fewer $100,000 deals than we anticipated, we are encouraged by the fact that we saw a record 90% plus of these deals include at least one add-on product. This result compares to two-thirds of $100,000 deals, including multiple products in Q1 a year ago. We are building the category-defining cloud content management platform, and this year we have the most exciting product roadmap in our company's history. 
In May, we announced the all-new Box Relay, our workflow automation solution, and one of the most critical capabilities for our customers as they begin to leverage Box to drive and automate critical business processes. Relay will power content-centric processes across the enterprise, ranging from customer and employee onboarding to document review and approval in sales, marketing, finance, and more. Today, these use cases are either not served at all or are being served poorly by rigid, costly legacy systems. With the all-new Box Relay, we are the only solution that delivers secure content management workflow and collaboration in a single cloud platform. Further, because Box Relay is now built natively on Box, it benefits from our infrastructure, security, compliance features, and our deep integrations with other business process management tools, as well as best-of-breed applications like Okta, Slack, Zoom, and Salesforce. Customers recognize our increasing ability to improve critical business processes that are not solved today by legacy ECM systems like SharePoint, Documentum, and OpenText. Several big deals closed in Q1 were direct replacements of SharePoint and other legacy systems. Uh, For example, BT Group purchased Box to power business processes for the company's BT Global division. Box will act as the content layer to BT's bid management process, integrating with Salesforce and centralizing content across BT Global. Box will enhance the way the organization works internally and improve the digital engagement experience for their customers. A central bank purchased Box platform to build applications that will enable them to engage with third-party stakeholders such as auditors, other government entities, and commercial parties. With the implementation of Box platform, the bank will replace SharePoint in an effort to shift critical processes to a modern technology stack. And finally, a large global investment bank purchased Box in a seven-figure deal to replace a homegrown legacy content management system. Box Platform will serve as the company's content layer for developing new engagement experiences for regulators, managing M&A deals, and onboarding new clients. In addition to Platform, the firm also purchased Box Governance, KeySafe, and Box Zones. Based on this traction and the new capabilities coming with Box Relay and the other new products like Box Shield later this year, we are excited to drive continued innovation in cloud content management and go after the $40 billion-plus market for content and collaboration. Also in Q1, we made good progress on the evolution of our go-to-market efforts, enabling us to accelerate our customers' digital transformation through our solution selling strategy. As we have discussed, we are working to further improve our execution through hiring and promoting world-class sales leadership around the world, updating sales compensation plans tied to solution selling, improving sales training and operational rigor, and introducing our first enterprise suites. Now, in addition to selling our advanced cloud content management products like Box Platform Governance and Relay as separate product add-ons, we will be offering new digital workplace and digital business suites that consolidate these and other offerings into simple bundles that are aligned to our customers' cloud content management use cases. We are seeing increasing demand from our strategic customers to buy our full suite of solutions, and we expect these suites to be an enabler for a more streamlined sales process and higher average contract value. Overall, with our combination of a large install base of enterprise customers, strong product roadmap of advanced capabilities, and a focus on improved sales productivity, we feel confident in our ability to meet the opportunities ahead. Before I hand it over to Dylan, I'd also like to briefly talk about the continued evolution of our board and leadership team. 
First, Tom Addis, who joined Box in 2012 and who has led global sales since January 2018, will be moving on from the company. We'd like to thank Tom for his many contributions to Box over the years. We are in the late stages of hiring a strong candidate to be our new global sales leader who will report directly to our COO, Stephanie Carrillo. Next, as we announced a few weeks ago, Peter Leave will be joining the board of directors later this month. Peter was most recently president and CMO of BMC Software, and prior to that, served as the president and CEO of Polycom. Peter's experience scaling and leading multi-billion dollar enterprise technology businesses will be a fantastic addition to our board. Also, over the past 12 months, we have added Sue Barsamian and Kim Hammonds to our board. Together with Peter, their collective expertise leading global companies, driving strategic vision and executing with operational rigor is invaluable to Box as we continue to scale our business. Lastly, we were thrilled to congratulate Dana Evan, who has been an independent director on our board since December 2011, on being named 2019's Director of the Year by the National Association of Corporate Directors. Congratulations, Dana. With that, I'll hand it over to Dylan. Thanks, Aaron. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Q1 was a solid start to the year as we closed a record percentage of large deals with add-on products while delivering continued leverage in our bottom line results, including strong improvement in operating margin and free cash flow generation. While we still have work to do, we're seeing good traction in our solution selling initiatives, and we're very focused on improving our sales efficiency and overall growth rate over time. We delivered revenue of $163.0 million in Q1, up 16% year-over-year. 24% of this revenue came from regions outside of the United States, and in Q1 we saw continued strength in Japan and improvement in certain regions in EMEA. A year ago, we adopted the ASC 606 accounting standard, and as part of our adoption, we've been, begun disclosing our remaining performance obligations, or RPO, which represent non-cancelable contracts that we expect to recognize as revenue in future periods. RPO consists of deferred revenue and backlog offset by contract assets. Moving forward, we'll be emphasizing our RPO, which we believe is a more comprehensive indicator of our momentum and growth potential than billings and is consistent with gap accounting. Our RPO ended Q1 at $637 million, up 16% year-over-year. We expect to recognize roughly 66% of this RPO over the next 12 months. First quarter billings came in at $118.4 million, representing 1% calculated and 4% adjusted billings growth year-over-year in line with the expectations we referenced in our last earnings call. As we discussed on that call, our Q1 billings faced a very difficult year-over-year comparison, including an unusually high volume of multi-year prepays and billings for the non-recurring enhanced developer fee in the year-ago period, as well as a reduction from a single large customer that we mentioned on our last call. In the second quarter, we expect calculated billings growth to be in the mid-single-digit range, which reflects a roughly two-percentage-point headwind from the developer fee that we billed in Q2 of the prior year. We expect calculated billings in the second half of this year to track more closely to revenue growth, noting that after Q3, the prior year's enhanced developer fee will no longer impact our year-over-year comparisons. Turning to margins. Non-GAAP gross margin came in at 72.3% versus 74.4% a year ago. As a reminder, we're in the midst of a multi-year migration of our data center footprint to lower-cost regions as part of our hybrid hosting strategy. 
We plan to complete this migration by the middle of next year, so during this migration we'll be occupying redundant co-location facilities, resulting in temporarily lower gross margins. As such, while we achieve continued efficiencies from our hosting architecture and the timing of new data centers coming online, we continue to expect gross margin for the remainder of FY20 to range from 70 to 71%. Once we complete this migration and as we continue to drive efficiencies in our infrastructure, we expect our gross margin to trend upwards starting in the back half of FY21. In Q1, we continue to see our business model and economies of scale drive greater efficiency and leverage across the business. Sales and marketing expenses in the quarter were $69.4 million, representing 43% of revenue, a significant reduction from 49% in the prior year. Looking ahead, we expect to generate additional leverage in sales and marketing as more of our revenue comes from renewals and upsells, which are more profitable, and as we improve sales productivity by executing on larger strategic solution sales. As a reminder and to provide some context, we grew our sales force by 12% last year. This year, we will focus our sales hiring in segments where we've been executing well and seeing strong productivity trends, and we now expect to grow our sales force in the mid-single-digit range in FY20 versus our prior target of 10 to 15%. With our existing sales force and planned hiring, we believe we have the right quantity and quality of sales capacity to deliver on our growth targets. Next. Research and development expenses were $33.3 million, or 20% of revenue, flat with a year ago, even as we significantly enhanced our cloud content management product offerings, including the continued development of Box Relay and Box Shield. Our general and administrative costs were $18.2 million, or 11% of revenue, compared to 12% in Q1 of last year. We expect to drive continued leverage in G&A as we benefit from greater operational excellence and scale. Total Q1 operating expenses represented 74% of revenue compared to 81% a year ago, so despite our temporarily lower gross margin, we were able to drive our Q1 non-GAAP operating margin to a strong 5 percentage point improvement year over year, coming in at negative 2% versus negative 7% a year ago. As a result, non-GAAP EPS came in at negative 3 cents, an improvement from negative 7 cents a year ago and above the high end of our guidance. We ended Q1 with a net retention rate of 107%, down slightly from last quarter. This result was impacted primarily by the single large customer reducing its footprint that we mentioned previously, which will continue to impact our net retention rate for the next several quarters as a result of how we calculate this metric. In Q1, our full churn rate was 4.2% on an annualized basis. As customers increasingly adopt additional products, either in their initial purchase or as a cross-sell over time, they become significantly stickier. Our net expansion rate was 12% on an annualized basis, stable with the prior two quarters and primarily driven by strong seat growth in existing customers and cross-sells of our add-on products. For the fourth consecutive quarter, we've seen an improvement in our price per seat on a year-over-year basis, mainly as a result of the higher product attach rates we mentioned earlier. We now have 12.2 million paid users. Let me now move on to our balance sheet and cash flow. We ended the quarter with $231.4 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash, up from $217.5 million a year ago. We delivered cash flow from operations of $25.5 million compared to $18.4 million a year ago. In Q1, total CapEx was $1.6 million versus $4 million a year ago. Capital lease payments, which we factor into our free cash flow calculation, were $9.2 million versus $7.2 million a year ago.
We expect CapEx and capital lease payments combined to be roughly 6 to 7% of revenue, both in Q2 and for the full year of FY20. Finally, we generated $13.4 million of free cash flow in the first quarter, or 8% of revenue. This was up more than 80% compared to $7.3 million in free cash flow generation a year ago. Before turning to our guidance, as Aaron mentioned, I wanted to discuss the progress we've made in selling multiple products and the strong economics of those customer segments. As we've noted in the past, our customers are increasingly choosing to augment our core product capabilities with add-on products, enabling them to more fully realize the value of Box as a cloud content management platform. We're in a strong position to capitalize on our cloud content management opportunity as we build on the early momentum we've delivered in our solution selling efforts. The revenue we generate from our add-on products was up 57% year-over-year, now representing 14% of our revenue run rate in Q1 versus 10% a year ago. Looking at our total recurring revenue base, in Q1, 89% of this revenue was generated by customers paying $5,000 or more annually. Of this base, customers who have purchased add-on products to support higher value use cases now account for just over half of our annual recurring revenue, up from mid-30% a year ago and mid-20% two years ago. These customers have average contract values that are four times larger and churn rates that are two-thirds lower than the customers who have not yet purchased any add-on products. In the future, we expect the launch of the all-new Relay and Shield to drive further adoption of more sophisticated use cases and improved customer economics. With that, let's now turn to our guidance. For the full year of fiscal 2020, in light of our anticipation of longer sales cycles across our larger deals, we now expect revenue to be in the range of 688 to 692 million. We are focused on delivering our first year of non-GAAP profitability this year, and we now expect our FY20 non-GAAP EPS to be in the range of zero cents to positive two cents on approximately 155 million diluted shares. Our GAAP EPS is expected to be in the range of negative $1.05 to negative $1.03 on approximately 148 million shares. For the second quarter of fiscal 2020, we are setting revenue guidance in the range of 169 to 170 million. We expect our non-GAAP EPS to be in the range of negative 2 cents to negative 1 cent, and for our GAAP EPS to be in the range of negative 29 to negative 28 cents on approximately 147 million shares. As we have seen and communicated, our larger enterprise deals are more complex with longer sales cycles. However, these deals result in higher value, stickier customers, which are becoming a larger proportion of our total revenue base. This mix shift gives us confidence that we can achieve revenue growth rate improvements in FY21 and beyond on our path to achieving a billion in revenue. Given we are in the midst of driving this cloud content management evolution, we believe it is no longer prudent to pinpoint a specific time frame for achieving this billion dollar milestone. As we think about shaping our business model, we will increasingly look to balance growth and profitability. While our strategy remains focused on long-term revenue growth, we will continue to drive margin expansion across the business. Based on this principle of taking a balanced approach to growth, we are committing to deliver a non-GAAP operating margin of 6 to 7% in FY21. From a longer-term point of view, we expect that in FY23, three years from now, the sum of our revenue growth and non-GAAP operating margin will be roughly 30%. We remain confident that our market opportunity and leadership position in cloud content management set us up nicely for profitable growth. We're very excited by this year's product roadmap, which will allow us to build on the CCM momentum. With that, I would like to open it up for questions. Operator? 
At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. And your first question comes from E.T. Kidron with Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. Um, first of all, congratulations to you, Aaron, on your, the recent addition to your family. Um, Thank you. May, may, maybe we can uh, dive into the crux of what's going on. I guess, in a way, you're you're kind of shifting to going deep rather going <clears throat> rather than going wide with customers. Um, help us think about as you you look at this past quarter. I certainly had some expectations heading into the quarter. Um, what has kind of worked to your expectations in the quarter, and what has not? Um, and this elongation of sales cycles, given the complexity of the deal, and um, how much of that is is, is um, you still selling the solutions siloed? Um, is the bundle approach already in effect, um, and, and uh, is impacting the sales cycles? Is that going to help or not? Is that ahead of us or behind us? Help us help me understand that. Yeah, so um, so I think uh, Q2 was certainly a great example of our add-on products uh, overall uh, contributing heavily to our uh, to, to our, our big deals, especially if you look at the kind of you know million dollar and five hundred thousand dollar plus categories. Um, uh, and this is uh, before we even have the bundles um, and the the product suites that you just mentioned. So what we're what we're seeing is that more and more of our strategic customers um, that are you know spending more than a hundred thousand uh, dollars with us. Um, are using uh, multiple, one or more add-on products like Box Governance, Box Platform, uh, and that is um, enriching their use cases. It is uh, obviously uh, dramatically expanding their average contract value. It's improving their customer retention. And so our introduction of product suites, um, which uh, goes live this month in June, is meant to accelerate and, and streamline the adoption of those, uh, those add-on products. So we have two suites that are going to be coming live in market. One is a digital workplace suite, which includes Box Governance as well as the core product. And then we have a digital business suite, which includes Box Platform and Box Relay. And uh, customers now on a single line item are going to be able to buy um, those multiple products all together. And we think that's uh, going to dramatically streamline how customers are, are, are driving these add-on products. We're seeing a pretty significant amount of demand already internally from our sales force, which we think is representative of, uh, of the demand that we're seeing outside from customers uh, for those suites. So we're very excited about what that momentum looks like. And I think um, as you, you know, think about the commentary on this call, we are seeing that, that as you do these much bigger deals, that does lengthen the, the sales cycles, although at the end of that, that result uh, is much larger deals, um, much stickier customers, way greater retention, um, and that's, uh, that's obviously a really good thing for the business. So, um, so this is going to, you know, uh, this is a mixed shift that, that's playing out in the business, but we see uh, that there's a tremendous amount of upside um, as a result of that. Very good. Help me think about the suites. Um, I guess when you, when you think about the, the guidance for the year, I mean, is there an assumption there that the suites help accelerate transactions or that assumption is still not worked into your expectations? And also, help me think about the, the price discount that's, that's implied in the suite approach. Yeah, so, um, so the, you know, to the extent possible, the suites are, are obviously baked into to our guidance, although um, because they don't exist yet, uh, we only have a certain amount that we've been able to simulate. Um, but because they launch uh, in the first half of the year in, in our Q2, um, it won't have you know any impact really on our on our first half results, and so um, so that, that's sort of you know tied to our guidance, and, and we do think that they'll become a, a big contributor 
um, to the growth, especially at the tail end of this year. Um, so, uh, so, but, but you know, th there does remain some upside on that, but we want to wait for that to play out a bit more. Um, but again, we're seeing a lot of uh, really kind of good demand within the sales force um, internally and then uh, uh, generating some of that demand directly from customers as well um, as we've been uh, starting to message these suite to, suites to customers. In terms of discounting, um, uh, there's a, a, a sort of marginal discount um, when you, uh, on a kind of per product basis when you, when you buy the, the suite of, uh, of all of our solutions. However, um, the, uh, we expect that the average um, uh, price per seat um, to actually uh, be positive um, uh, as a result of customers buying these seat, uh, suites. Um, so uh, we would actually expect uh, on a like-for-like -like basis that the price per seat for customers that purchase these uh, suites um, will be, uh, you know, much higher uh, when, uh, when a customer buys the suite. So you'll get a discount on a per-product basis um, versus list price of those products, um, but the customer will be paying more per uh, user within their organization as a result of buying into one of our product suites. Got it. And just to clarify, when someone, um, would customers still be able to buy the product siloed or suites is the only way for them to buy products going forward? For, for now, they can uh, still buy the product siloed. We, we do know of you know, plenty of cases where a customer might want a very specific add-on, especially something like Box Platform, although we do expect that this will um, you know, continue to uh, help improve and, and evolve our sales motion. We'd like to be showing uh, up to customers uh, with the full range of solutions um, in, our, in our sales motion as opposed to you know, um, kind of a much more piecemeal approach in the sales process. Um, and so uh, the ability to be able to sell the full suite of, of capabilities all at once to customers and ensure that they can get the full value of Box, um, you know, we think is going to be uh, really impactful to sales productivity. And again, the demand that we're seeing internally from our sales force, I think, is, uh, is quite indicative of um, uh, you know, how important this is going to be to our sales motion overall. Very good. Good luck. Thank you. Your next question comes from Bill Winslow with Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Hey, uh, thanks guys for taking my question. Uh, just wanted to focus on, on a couple items. First, you made a commentary about you know, growing the sales force this year, you know, mid single digit, and then you know uh, the the next when you talked about you know, next year, you know, six to seven percent operating margin, and then and then beyond that, you're hitting a thirty percent you know op margin plus, plus revenue growth. I guess if you think, help me through the progression there. Kind of walk me through the process of uh, why you sort of lowered the the sales force headcount uh, you know, for for this year, and then I guess kind of extrapolate that through how you think of, of sort of your comment too about accelerating growth, you know, next year and beyond. Kind of just well, walk me through the thought process and I guess uh, the path there. Sure. So uh, this is Dylan. Uh, as as a reminder, uh, and as we said on the call, we grew our sales force last year by about 12% uh, with a, a focus in terms of expanding our sales force in the field. Uh, many of those reps are still ramping uh, through this period and will be throughout the year. And then we had initially targeted, uh, targeted growth in the 10 to 15% range, uh, which we've arised to that mid-single-digit range. And really the, the focus there is on driving uh, more in terms of sales productivity Activity and really doubling down on a lot of the efforts there. Uh, as we mentioned, we've been very focused on only increasing uh, hiring and, and, and really focusing in the regions where we have seen strong productivity trends and improvements. And so depending on how especially some of these newer products play out and some of the leadership changes that we made in certain key regions uh, around the world, as we start to see pipeline generation and sales kick into gear, uh, you know, we would modify the hiring plans uh, accordingly. But at this stage, we think that growth rate, uh, based on some of the trends that we're seeing uh, in, in the various sales regions that we have, um, is, is the right kind of balance of, of, uh, of growth and profitability um, and allows us to generate pretty significant leverage uh, in that line item over time as well. 
Got it. Okay. Uh, thanks, guys. And then in terms of just the uh, the changes you're making to the go-to-market, obviously you talked about some of the uh, the, the personnel changes there. Anything in terms of a process that's 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 changing now? Uh, call it a quarter into the fiscal year that that you'd highlight and how you think about sort of that you know, playing out of the course of this year and the next year. Yeah, so um, we've been making a bunch of changes around just the overall operational rigor, especially with our big deals. Um, uh, you know, while that didn't yet show up in the uh, in the 100K results, obviously, you know, we saw a, a healthy improvement on the 500K million dollar results in Q1, um, and we actually are seeing a, a pretty significant pipeline of uh, of the 100K uh, plus deals overall, especially in Q2 and beyond. Um, so, uh, so we're, we're feeling, you know, pretty good about a lot of the operational rigor that has been put into place. Um, additional, uh, uh, additionally, I would say that uh, there's been, you know, pretty significant improvements in sales training um, and in the enablement function around solution selling. So, again, this ability to take our horizontal platform and the capabilities around that platform and ensure that it is aligned to our customers' you know, biggest pain points, uh, which is obviously what solution selling is all about. And I think as a result of that, you're seeing actually more and more um, uh, wins and um, and uh, takeouts against legacy enterprise content management players. Um, so especially in Q1, we saw an increase in uh, being able to go and take out products like uh, SharePoint, um, Documentum, and other legacy ECM systems. So as we move up market, um, you know what that's going to result in is uh, is obviously you know much larger deals, um, but uh, but being able to to drive these much more strategic transactions for our customers. So that's really what the uh, the sales operations efforts have been all about, and I think we're seeing some really good signs early on in the year that uh, that it's playing out uh, in a very fruitful way. And just to to build on that and kind of circle back to the question you had about the growth rate, Phil, is uh, why we we remain confident in targeting and in our ability to improve our revenue growth rate, um, even with this uh, sales hiring plan, is that the foundational components are all there. So we've talked through the the sales leadership uh, up-leveling that we've seen in key regions, um, and we do have, uh, with our current planned hiring, sufficient sales capacity as well as pipeline coverage uh, this year to deliver against those growth targets and to make that happen. So, as mentioned, that combined with the solid cloud content management traction uh, that we've been seeing, that is better growth rates and overall economics, uh, those are some of the key drivers that, uh, that uh, lead us to that level of confidence. Got it. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Melissa Franchi with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking my question. Aaron, um, when we spoke last quarter, you talked about elongating sales cycles and some deals that had slipped from Q4. Coming into Q1, did the sales cycle elongate further than what you saw last quarter? And if so, what gives you confidence that it's simply because you're doing more strategic selling versus maybe something more fundamental or execution-driven? Yeah. So, um, uh, so overall, um, I think we're we're seeing a really um, strong pipeline build up uh, throughout the year with pretty clear kind of closed dates in a, in a very measurable way uh, across the business. Um, so, um, you know, I don't know that we're seeing an increase in uh, in the sales cycle length from from where we were three months ago. I think we're we're you know just getting a better sense for it overall, though, um, as it relates to the the financial model this year. And then, of course, um, you know, things are ultimately tilting a little bit more back end. Um, oriented just given the, the deal sizes that, uh, that that we're working on, you know, aligning the customer's budget uh, in the second half of the year. Um, so, uh, so overall, we, we do feel pretty confident um, in uh, in the predictability of uh, uh, you know of these bigger deals. Um, but uh, but it has you know overall um, the, the sales cycles have lengthened uh, from maybe where we were you know one or two years ago, and that's been the, the shift in the model that we're seeing. 
Got it. Um, and then Dylan, um, thank you for the operating margin target in FY21. I know that you're not going to guide for the top line likely in that period, but I'm just curious, how sensitive is that guidance to the top line such that if you're seeing better growth opportunities, is there the potential that you might want to kind of more reinvest in the business and deprioritize that leverage target? Yeah, so certainly we've said in the past, we do think about certainly one of the components of, of our overall expenses that is uh, mapped pretty closely to the success we're seeing and, and sort of the top line drivers as well as outcomes is our uh, AE uh, hiring, our, our sales force hiring. Um, but based on the things that we're putting in place this year uh, to drive additional efficiencies, uh, we feel good about that, that uh, operating margin uh, target, uh, depending, you know, even with uh, various kind of top-line scenarios. Um, also, although the ultimate uh, hiring goals with the sales force uh, may uh, move up or down depending on that success and productivity we're seeing and how well some of those initiatives are working, uh, there are a bunch of other things that are driving efficiencies in the business uh, that lead us to be confident in that operating margin target, uh, even with a range of top-line outcomes. And that's everything from things like uh, beginning to see those gross margins improve as we move through next year uh, and as we complete the data center migration to continuing to drive natural business model leverage as uh, we expect more of our customers are going to be, uh, have, we'll have a larger renewal base and, and expansion base um, relative to this year, which are inherently more uh, efficient sales, um, not to mention the uh, sales productivity and beginning uh, to move more of our future hiring in lower cost locations. So there are a number of things that we're doing across the business to drive efficiencies, and think we can achieve those goals, um, you know, even if, if the top line growth uh, plays out as, as we're targeting. Understood. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Rob Owens with KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking my question. I guess if we focus on the velocity-based sales, and I understand the economics of going up market, but has there been a change either in, in market dynamics and competitive dynamic and just market maturation that would bifurcate the market and suggest box moves up market? Um, Help me understand kind of the, the corollary and the other side of this, just what's, what's happening in that velocity-based business and if it's becoming more fungible or something of that nature. Thanks. Yeah, so I, actually I think we're, we're still seeing uh, really strong results in the velocity business. It's a, a really strong run rate um, business um, uh, overall, and in fact, um, we're, we're even starting to see higher average contract values uh, within that segment um, with the addition of our add-on products. So, um, you know, on a pretty regular basis, we're seeing now record uh, kind of breaking deal sizes within uh, our SMB and commercial segments, which really is evidence that, um, you know, if you're uh, a smaller investment bank or you're a law firm or you're a professional services organization or a marketing agency, uh, you have the same level of security and governance and workflow needs as a large enterprise, um, and, uh, and we might be an even more complete solution for your entire enterprise. So uh, that allows us to actually capture, in some cases, a higher price per seat in, uh, in those organizations. So I think we're very um, uh, well positioned from a competitive standpoint in that uh, kind of velocity business in the commercial segment. Um, uh, of course, you know, we want to layer on the, the enterprise business on top of that because of the strategic nature of Fortune 500 logos. Um, and of course, the, the IT budgets that, um, uh, that, 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 are, that are out there uh, and obviously the dis disruption that we can go drive 
uh, within the legacy ECM space. But it is a balanced portfolio of our revenue mix, um, everything from self-serve happening completely online with no touch, um, all the way up to the world's largest enterprises. So I think we're going to continue to see that balanced mix of, uh, of revenue and, and you know, drive on growth in, uh, in, in those key segments. Aaron, given cloud is nothing new and, and nor is enterprise cloud content management, are you surprised at just this point in the life cycle of the company to see these sales cycles extending? I, w- I would think they'd be somewhat coming down um, just because people understand the value proposition and understand you know, what box can add on top of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, and we spend a lot of time thinking about this um, internally, strategically. I think what's happening is if you look at the kind of first maybe decade plus of our growth, it was really Box as a tool for secure file sharing and collaboration. It was very easy to adopt, um, you know, just by an IT department or, or some other department within the organization. As we've built out things like Box Governance, um, uh, Box Relay, obviously, for workflow, Box Platform for developers to be able to build applications on top of the platform, um, this has involved a, a broader set of constituents in the organization, um, which is uh, fortunately driving more standardization around Box within an enterprise, but it comes um, uh, certainly with uh, some uh, increased rigor on behalf of the customer and, and the stakeholders that have to be involved in the sales transaction. So, um, so I think what, what's, you know, what's occurring is, is it's less about cloud um, as a kind of macro technology architecture and much more about Box as a platform for content management and the security compliance governance, developer buy-in that, that, that goes on into, uh, into one of these sales, especially if you think about a you know, very large regulated bank or pharmaceutical company or government agency. Um, so the, the good news is, you know, operationally, internally, you know, we're, we're very prepared for those types of deal uh, cycles, but what it is, you know, uh, having the uh, uh, impact on is, um, is extending those, those, uh, those deal cycles. I think what we're, what we're certainly working on as well is uh, driving, uh, again, a, a, an ongoing very healthy run rate business of those kind of 100K plus deals um, that, uh, that maybe won't be as susceptible to, uh, to those cycle um, uh, increases and, um, and, and, you know, really try and drive a, a, a balanced mix of that. But, uh, but overall, I think as you see this mix shift of revenue more, move more toward add-on products and customers buying the full suite of our, uh, of our capabilities, um, that will become, um, uh, you know, pretty normalized in terms of, uh, of, of how you see the business grow. Thank you. Your next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Kevin here on for Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, in regards to the new Relay offering, can, can you talk about how you see positioning that product with a paid and a free version? And I guess how do you see that driving customer economics versus some of your other product launches? Yeah, so uh, Relay is going to be um, uh, f- fundamental to our continued uh, evolution as a cloud content management platform. Um, y- y- in the history of the company, uh, customers have had to purchase other add-on uh, separate products from other vendors uh, to be able to drive workflow around their content within Box. Um, and, uh, and in many cases, we see a huge opportunity to, to uh, make that a much simpler experience um, and, and one that is much more streamlined and, uh, and much more uh, kind of intuitive for our customers. So, uh, so we've uh, seen a, a significant amount of demand uh, for Relay, the natively uh, uh, built um, uh, product that, uh, that we did just announce and will become general available in June. Um, so uh, a pretty significant and healthy pipeline is building. And, um, and this is, uh, this is again, going to uh, increase the retention rate of customers. It's going to drive much stickier uh, uh, use cases uh, within customers. And then overall, especially when bundled in with our add-on product suites, um, drive up average contract value. Um, as Dylan mentioned, we're seeing a 4x uh, greater average contract value of customers that have one or more add-on products from Box. 
um, which is uh, you know obviously a pretty material uh, difference in uh, in what customers are are spending and uh, and buying from us when they do have these add-on products, and we think Relay um, is going to be a significant contributor to that overall mix. Uh, that's helpful. Uh, and then maybe just a point of clarification. I think your updated full-year billings outlook would imply a growth rate that's below your updated revenue outlook. So I just wanted to come back to your comment about uh, what's giving you confidence in the pipeline that, that growth for the business will reaccelerate going into fiscal 21. Yeah, so uh, you're right in terms of uh, the overall map as we do expect uh, billings growth and, and revenue growth to track more or less in line uh, in the back half of the year, uh, but uh, due to, to some of not just the, the kind of deal cycle lengthening timing dynamics, but also some of the kind of one-time uh, or, or, you know, the kind of items that, that have impacted billings in the first half of the year, that's what's causing that um, uh, the, those kind of headwinds, which is why we'd also uh, point to, and I think we'll increasingly be pointing to uh, RPO as a pretty good indicator of the underlying momentum of the, in the business. But overall, as we think about the confidence, uh, as we think about the year as a whole, uh, which will show up to a certain extent in, in, uh, in the billings growth, it does relate to a lot of the same things that we've uh, started to talk about in, in the past. Uh, and, and on this call, uh, specifically around uh, everything from the traction that we're seeing in our cloud content management use cases and the economics and growth associated with not just these specific add-on products, but the customers who are using those more broadly, uh, now making up uh, about 50% of our revenue and growing pretty steadily. Um, so if those trends continue, and we believe they will, especially as our, our product offering is going to become a lot more compelling, uh, we think with the introduction of, of Relay and suites in the near term and then shield later in the year, combined with a lot of the inputs and, and the things we look at around sales capacity and uh, pipeline coverage and things like that are a lot of the underlying components uh, that, that lead us to be feeling good about uh, the year as a whole. It's very helpful. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. This is Matt Koss on behalf of Mark Murphy. Uh, you, you mentioned you saw some improvement in certain regions in EMEA. Uh, what were the regions that did improve, and what was the improvement that uh, you were able to observe? And then um, in the regions that are still uh, transitioning, um, what do you expect to see from those as the year progresses? Sure. So the, the most notable region where we saw a, a big improvement over uh, prior quarters is uh, in UK and Ireland, which is our largest region of, of EMEA, um, having a very strong outcome um, and, and better than planned. And uh, that was uh, where we closed uh, one of our million-dollar deals in the quarter as well. Um, so that would be probably the, the main highlight that I'd call out uh, in terms of materiality. Uh, still seeing, um, you know, a kind of uh, lower contribution from some of the areas where we've been rebuilding the team and, and um, uploading leadership, like Germany, for example, uh, has not been contributing uh, material, materially to the business, and we've been building out uh, the sales capacity and, and some of the pipeline there uh, to hopefully see that start to contribute more materially as we move through the year. Uh, but those are, are uh, probably the two reasons I'd call out in terms of um, both uh, positive and, um, uh, and still building. Uh, and, and sorry if I missed this. Did you mention the number of registered and paying users? Um, we did. Uh, we have uh, now in terms of total registered users uh, just shy of 66 million, so 65.9. Um, and in terms of overall uh, paying seats, uh, 12.2 million. 
Your next question comes from Chad Bennett with Craig Hallam. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. I guess um, the the large deals that um, slipped from last quarter, did we recoup any of those deals in the large deal metrics that you cited? Yeah, uh, we we, uh, we did close a, a few of those um, within the uh, within the quarter, and um, and the majority are still in the pipeline uh, uh, throughout this year. So um, still uh, uh, still in uh, kind of control of all those deals. Okay, and then um, on a net new basis, do you think in in I guess even more broadly than net new customer wins. Um, do you believe believe you've lost share over the last 12 to 18 months in in the next generation cloud content management space? I, 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 uh, sorry, one more time. Uh, sorry. Do you believe you've either your win rates on a net new basis have went down, sorry. or overall you've lost share in your no. space? No, I, I would actually say the from a cloud content management standpoint, um, uh, we are uh, we're still in you know pretty clear leading position. Um, as the only cloud-native platform that, uh, that that customers can move to. So um, when we look at most of our competition, um, it's primarily legacy ECM vendors like OpenText or Documentum or products that are having to be positioned um, uh, through a, a kind of on-prem to, to cloud transition like SharePoint. Um, and overall, what we're seeing from customers is that the functionality, the user experience, the lack of internal or external collaboration, the lack of developer experiences or integration with other best-of-breed tools, um, all, of, all of those um, kind of deficits um, are, are causing customers to really rethink their content management environment, which is uh, actually driving a lot of demand for Box overall. Yeah, and, and as it relates to the win rate specifically, uh, we have seen uh, stability, and in, in, in many cases, especially for add-on deals, actually slight improvements in, in the win rates uh, over the past several quarters. Um, so absent, uh, and you can think about that a couple of ways. There's kind of what amount of the pipeline do we ultimately close as, as new bookings relative to what's entering the quarter, and then what percentage of the pipeline that is ultimately closed, either won or lost, comes in. Uh, in the latter categories, how we typically think about and describe win rates, um, and that, as I mentioned, has been um, slightly improving and is, is significantly better uh, in deals that have at least one of our add-on products attached. As it relates to what we close out of the entering pipeline coverage, that has similarly been pretty stable and, and strong as well, absent Q4, where we had a, a higher volume, as we've discussed, of large deals pushing out of the quarter that, that uh, led that metric to go down. Okay, one last one real quick, if I may. I think it should be straightforward. So if you're moving um, up in terms of um, enterprise selling into uh, from a sales standpoint and then also uh, bundling in, in more suite-based selling or solution selling, um, and you're going to see the benefits of this in the second half, we should expect net expansion and retention rate to accelerate. Well, I'd say a couple things there is uh, we would uh, expect seeing one of the things that has been um, uh, contributing positively to the net expansion rate is uh, and net retention rate uh, is the cross-sells of, of add-on products, uh, which has offset some of the uh, kind of counter-pressures of uh, things like the customer base maturing and, and, and such. Um, however, this year, as we talked about, we are going to see uh, some pressure because of that one uh, customer who reduced its 
use cases and, and footprint with us uh, in the first, quor first quarter. Um, so that's going to show up, and, and we'll call out the impact um, uh, as we move through the year. Um, so I think ultimately we could see and, and think that we, based on the product portfolio that we increasingly have, especially as we think about you know, toward the end of the year and heading into next year, some upside in that metric. But because of the, the offsetting pressure uh, from that one uh, large event, about $8 million, uh, that that's going to make it a, a pretty challenging compare this year. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. Your next question comes from Michael Turin with Deutsche Bank. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks. Uh, just one for me. You mentioned some of the revenue headwinds heading into this year on the, on the Q4 call, but revenue sequentially down is, is not something we're used to seeing, given you have a 97% recurring revenue model. You also saw an uptick in, in million-dollar deals during the quarter. So was hoping we could talk more around, given you know, what, what appears to be a, a conservative backdrop and, and, and some of those incremental deals showing up uh, in some form, what, what are some of the offsets that are bringing the full-year guide lower today versus what you were seeing last quarter when you set that initial guide? Sure. So we'd say uh, first specifically uh, as it relates to the sequential revenue uh, outcome, uh, a couple of things just to keep in mind, or maybe three things. Um, you know, first of all, that the sequential uh, you know, increase or decrease or change um, is you know a function of the bookings that we that we closed in Q4. Uh, whereas, as mentioned, uh, that outcome was uh, you know certainly worse than than our expectations and our, our typical uh, Q4 performance. Uh, we also had at the very beginning of, of this quarter um, that uh, customer downgrade, uh, which had a couple million dollar uh, headwind, and then finally, just from, you know purely optically, there's uh, five sorry three fewer days in Q1 versus Q4, which leads to a roughly five million dollar headwind. So that's sort of the sequential um, setup there. And as it relates to the overall um, kind of guidance and what has changed. Um, you know, a couple things, and, and we've, we've broadly said this, but um, to, to sort of clarify, we did get off to a bit of a slower start in, in Q1 than we would have hoped as billings landed at the low end of the range we'd expected uh, due to the, the 100K plus deal uh, counts coming in a bit below our expectations. Uh, and we, we have seen uh, a bit more pronounced lengthening in those larger deal cycles um, versus what we had expected a few months ago are really uh, the, the two uh, main things in terms of what's changed over the past uh, few months. Okay. Helpful summary, Dylan. Appreciate the color there. Thanks. And your next question comes from Eric Suppiger with JMP Securities. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking the question. Um, just on the sales organization, um, has there been any uh, change in terms of sales turnover? And then secondly, um, can you give us a sense for uh, the, the tenure of your average salespeople? How, mu how much of your sales organization has been, um, been with the company for a year or more? Yeah, so uh, we haven't seen um, a significant change in terms of uh, Salesforce turnover. Um, so as, as mentioned, especially now as we have a much better sense of, you know, what it takes to be successful selling these more strategic solution sales, uh, we have increased our focus on performance management, um, which is at a bit of an impact but not material as it relates to the overall number. Uh, and then as it relates to the uh, overall dynamic in, in terms of, you know, tenure is uh, what I'd say is entering this year we had about two-thirds 
of our field sellers uh, fully ramped entering the year, um, which is both about the same as last year and uh, also roughly correlates to how many folks have been around uh, for a year as, as that's about how long it takes to achieve uh, fully ramped quotas. So about two-thirds of our sales force um, heading into the year was in that category. All right, very good. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Thank you very much for joining us for the call today. You may now disconnect.